Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many criminals do not act alone. There are cases in which two people plot together to kill someone for a variety of different reasons. And there are also cases where criminals get help concealing the crime after the fact. Murders committed and concealed by two people this week are mysteriously listed. Number 4. Keith and Valeria Smith December 1, 2018. Jacqueline and Keith Smith took Keith's daughter Valeria Smith out for a belated 28th birthday celebration. The blended family went to the American Legion Club in Baltimore, Maryland to celebrate the occasion. Jacqueline also had two adult sons who were not present for this birthday dinner. After dinner, the family headed home and stopped at traffic lights in the 1000 block of Valley Street, where they saw a woman holding a sign that read, quote, Please help me feed me and my baby, unquote. 54-year-old Jacqueline insisted on rolling down her window as she got $10 out of her purse to give the homeless woman. Afterward, a man approached saying he wanted to thank the family for helping out, but he grabbed Jacqueline's purse and a fight ensued. The man then stabbed Jacqueline in the torso before fleeing the scene. 52-year-old Keith attempted chase before returning to his dying wife. He would tell WMAR2, quote, All I did was slam it in park to go chase these people. But then when I seen how my wife was screaming, I came back because I couldn't court one of them. But the police told me that wouldn't have been wise to chase a suspect because you don't know where they're heading, unquote. Paramedics would transport Jacqueline to the hospital where she later died. Ever the grieving husband, Keith sat front row at her funeral. A day or two after her death, Keith went to Jacqueline's place of work to get the paperwork for her half-million-dollar life insurance. He was the beneficiary. This piqued the investigators' interest. It was only when Keith and Valeria provided police with inconsistent descriptions of Jacqueline's alleged killer that investigators realised that something wasn't quite right. The man they described didn't exist. It was at this point detectives shifted their focus to the last known people to see Jacqueline alive, her husband and stepdaughter. February 2019, investigators received word that Keith and Valeria were planning on running away to Mexico. Valeria would write in her diary, quote, Today is the craziest day of my life. I'm officially on the run. I feel so sad I won't be able to see my children. This is so fucked up. This is not the time to panic. Unquote. March 3, 2019, police would foil their plan, arresting them in Harlington, Texas, before extraditing them back to Baltimore to face charges of first-degree murder. 
June 2019, it was announced that Valeria had reached a plea deal. Due to this, the murder charges were dropped and instead prosecutors pursued charges of accessory to murder after the fact. Valeria Smith would ultimately be sentenced to five years in prison. As for Keith, he entered a not guilty plea and the murder case would go to court in December 2021 for a week-long trial, Valeria being the star witness to testify for the prosecution. In her testimony against her father, Valeria alleged her father took a detour on Drood Hill Park on the night of her stepmother's death. He then slowed down to almost a stop and stabbed Jacqueline to death. Valeria said he did this with no emotion and was chillingly calm. However, his demeanour changed when he called 911, playing the role of a grief-stricken husband perfectly. He then drove to some nearby woods and discarded the murder weapon. He ordered Valeria to lie to the police and say a homeless panhandler stabbed Jacqueline. Keith Smith was given the maximum sentence of life in prison for the first-degree murder of his wife plus three years for using a deadly weapon with the intent to injure. Keith appeared at his sentencing by video from jail. He maintained he was innocent, apologising to Jacqueline's family that he did not do more to save her life. The mayor of Baltimore, Catherine Pugh, would front the media after the guilty verdict was handed down, quote, Like everyone in our city, state and across the nation, we mourn the senseless death of Jacqueline Smith. To now learn that family members staged this brutal killing is beyond belief and represents a double tragedy. Unquote. Number three, Brian and Jarlin Slush. 22 year old Monica Moynan was attempting to rebuild her life after a difficult breakup. She had moved into a new apartment with her two young daughters in Holly Springs, North Carolina. She was completely sober and no longer a slave to her previous drug addiction. She was starting a new business and a new life. On the outside, Monica was seen as an upbeat and loving mother, but behind closed doors, she was struggling with her self-esteem and wanted a clean break from her ex-boyfriend and the father of her children, 44-year-old Brian Slush. Monica would tell her friends on two separate occasions that Brian had choked her. She was so afraid of her former partner that she had a domestic violence protection order taken out against him. From April to June 2019, Monica's family members would receive regular text messages from her phone. Her mother was slightly concerned when Monica stopped calling and any request to come visit so she could see her grandbabies, there was always some excuse why Monica or the girls weren't available. Still, the texts they were receiving seemed to match Monica's normal texting style, so they weren't initially too worried. Early July 2019, the apartment manager at Monica's apartment building called her mother to express their concern. The manager had seen Brian removing furniture from Monica's apartment. He had been driving her car. That they hadn't seen Monica at all since late March. Based on this information, Monica's mother requested a welfare check. And when police were unable to find Monica at all, she was reported missing. Because of what Monica told her friends and the protection order and what the apartment manager said, police questioned Brian. 
He told them Monica had run away and deserted the girls, that she became hooked on heroin. However, then police found evidence that Monica may have been pregnant at the time she went missing and found out that Brian had been using Monica's credit cards and selling her furniture. Brian's story was falling apart. That's when he admitted he was the one sending the text messages from Monica's phone and not the missing young mother. This gave police probable cause to apply for a warrant to search Brian's apartment. They found evidence of an attempt to clean up a crime scene. Tiles from the kitchen floor were removed. Despite this, there was still a large amount of blood present between the remaining tiles and the cracks in the floor. Forensic analysis would later determine the blood to belong to Monica Moynan, and the blood was enough to result in her death. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. May 2020. Brian was finally arrested and charged with Monica's murder. What no one ever expected, though, Brian's ex-wife, Jarlin Slush, was also arrested and charged with obstruction of justice, an accessory to murder after the fact. The police claiming Jarlin knew Brian murdered his ex-girlfriend, and she knew this for months, yet she failed to report this to the police, even helping Brian sell Monica's furniture on Facebook Marketplace. Jarlin Slush is still awaiting trial. Brian Slush went to trial in late April 2022, and this trial is still currently taking place at the time of this recording. Number 2. Baron Brentley and Jordan Jones For the 2019 school year, 21-year-old Alexis Crawford had moved into an off-campus apartment with her best friend Jordan Jones. Both met as freshmen at Clark Atlanta University, where they were both now seniors. Alexis was studying a double major in sociology and criminal justice, with dreams of going to law school the following year. Unfortunately, the friendship had become strained by late October 2019. Jordan had a new boyfriend, Baron Brentley, who regularly stayed at the apartment. The trio went out for a drunken night on October 27, 2019, but came home when Alexis started to feel unwell. It was back at the apartment when Baron would allegedly follow Alexis into the bathroom. The police report states he touched and kissed Alexis without her consent. Baron would later claim he'd never meant to and mistaken Alexis for his girlfriend. Alexis would report to police she would then black out, and when she regained consciousness, she was lying on the bathroom floor, partially naked. Alexis went to the hospital, and it was here her worst fears were confirmed. A rape kit would show Baron's DNA inside her body. For reasons I do not understand, despite the evidence readily available, Baron was never arrested for the sexual assault. 
Atlanta police later reasoned this was because Alexis only reported quote-unquote unwarranted touching and kissing and not rape. Barron denied all allegations but could not explain how his semen got inside of Alexis. Instead of supporting her best friend during this traumatic event, Jordan would take the side of her boyfriend. The previously close pair were now no longer on speaking terms. Not only that, but Jordan still allowed Barron to sleep at the apartment, even when she wasn't there. Jordan would taunt Alexis, calling her family to say that Barron's DNA had not been found in the rape kit and that Alexis made it all up. This was completely untrue. Alexis no longer felt safe in her own home. She would text her friends in the days before her murder saying she felt uncomfortable and was afraid to sleep in her bedroom, instead sleeping on the living room sofa. On the afternoon of October 30th, 2019, Alexis FaceTimed with her mother, Tammy. She was laughing and appeared to be in good spirits. Early afternoon, Alexis would text back and forth with one of her sisters about their weekend plans. Alexis said she had none. Her sister would then reply but never heard back from Alexis again. That night around nine, Jordan would drive Alexis to the local liquor store. This would be Alexis's last known movements. When family were unable to get hold of her, they reported Alexis missing on October 31st. Jordan and Barron were questioned, but they denied knowing where Alexis was. That the last time they saw her was at their apartment at 12.30am when they went to bed. Given what happened only three days earlier, police pressed Jordan and Barron further. Jordan would crack under the questioning and admit to police that they had murdered her former friend, and that they disposed of her body in Exchange Park in Decanter. Jordan and Barron would be arrested that night and charged with Alexis's murder. Police would go straight to the park and recover Alexis's remains. She was found wrapped in a blue blanket. Her hands had been bound with a red hoodie she was last seen wearing, and a blue T-shirt was wrapped around her neck. The Fulton County Medical Examiner determined Alexis had died from asphyxiation. Inside the apartment, police found more evidence of the couple's guilt. They came across a small drop of blood in the bathroom sink. With luminol, they found traces of blood in at least five different places inside the apartment. Detectives also uncovered messages between Jordan and Barron, in which she told him to destroy the parking garage surveillance cameras, writing, quote, get it done, unquote. Once behind bars, Barron reportedly would also confess. Once behind bars, Barron reportedly would also confess that Alexis and Jordan got into a physical altercation in their apartment on the night of the murder. At some point, Barron would intervene and begun choking Alexis. At the same time, Jordan placed a plastic bag over her former best friend's head, attempting to smother her. Alexis would fight for her life. She'd managed to rip a hole in the plastic bag. However, Barron continued to choke her until she stopped breathing. Barron would tell detectives he knew Alexis was dying because she sounded like she was in agony. Barron and Jordan then put Alexis's body in a plastic bin and disposed of it in the woods in Exchange Park before returning home shortly after 4am. They unsuccessfully cleaned up the crime scene and went to bed. The next day, they went to a Halloween party together as if nothing had happened. 
Baron Brentley and Jordan Jones were indicted by a grand jury on charges of murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment and concealing the death of another. Baron also faces an additional charge of aggravated sodomy. Jordan and Baron are currently being held in a Fulton County jail. Trial dates have not yet been set. The Fulton County District Attorney's Office will not be seeking the death penalty. Number 1. Aubrey Trail and Bailey Bosworth From the outside, 53-year-old Aubrey Trail and 23-year-old Bailey Bosworth were an odd couple. Despite the 30-year age gap, Bailey was still pursuing women on the dating app Tinder. This was where she would meet 24-year-old Sydney Loof in November 2017. Their first date on October 14th went so well that the pair planned to meet up the following day. Bailey not telling her romantic interest, she was living with her older boyfriend in an apartment in Lincoln, Nebraska. Sydney posted on her Snapchat stories on the day of the second date with the caption, quote, ready for my date, unquote, a big cheesy smile on her face, full of excitement for the possibility of love. Unfortunately, Sydney would never return home from her date and she was reported missing by her family the next day. Police quickly identified Bailey and Aubrey as persons of interest in the case, but when police went to their apartment to question them, they had fled, allegedly running to evade a warrant on unrelated charges. Honestly, Aubrey and Bailey did nothing to not attract the police's suspicions. It doesn't stop there, though. On November 29th, Bailey posted a video on the Find Sydney Loof Facebook page, declaring her innocence. She claimed she went to drive Sydney home after their date, but she wanted to be driven to an unidentified friend's house instead, that she had never seen or heard from Sydney again. This video would be deleted only a few hours later, with the joint Facebook account that Bailey and Aubrey had been using being deactivated. Aubrey would post another video the next day. He too would declare their innocence. He angrily called out people who accused them of being involved in Sydney's disappearance. At the end of the video, Aubrey explained they were going to turn themselves into police because it was quote-unquote the only viable option to clear their names. December 4th, 2017. Sydney's dismembered body was found in a rural area in Clay County, Nebraska. In a press conference held the following day, authorities said they had been following a digital footprint that prompted them to search that area, leading them directly to Sydney's remains. February 2018. In another strange move, Aubrey would admit his role in Sydney's murder during a phone interview at a local news station. Aubrey said he was solely responsible for the murder and dismemberment, and that Bailey was not in the room when it all went down. Quote, When she was told what happened, she freaked out so badly she had to be sent out with a bag of weed to calm down. Unquote. However, surveillance footage obtained by police showed that Bailey was not only an active partner in the murder, but there was evidence of premeditation. Around 10.30, only hours before the planned second date, Aubrey and Bailey were captured on surveillance footage at a Home Depot, where they purchased tools and supplies believed to have been used in the dismemberment and disposal of Sydney. 
October 2020, Bailey would go to trial where she pleaded not guilty. At trial, it was revealed that Bailey had fantasies of sexual torture, that both she and Aubrey attempted to get numerous girls involved in their sexual depravity. They both practiced witchcraft, believing that in committing murder, they would both gain special witchcraft powers. This evidence, in addition to the surveillance footage and other physical evidence, was enough to find Bailey Bosworth guilty of the murder of Sidney Loof. In November 2021, Bailey was sentenced to life in prison. Aubrey went to trial in June 2019. During the trial, he would exhibit even more odd behaviour. After a witness left the stand after giving their testimony, Aubrey screamed, quote, Bailey is innocent and I curse you all, unquote, before slitting his throat with an object that appeared to be a makeshift blade. He would be taken to hospital where he recovered before the trial could continue. Eventually, in July 2019, Aubrey Trail was found guilty for first-degree murder and improper disposal of human skeletal remains in the killing of Sidney Loof. In June 2021, Aubrey was sentenced to the death penalty. The judge stated that the crime committed showed quote-unquote exceptional depravity, which fit the criteria for the death penalty. During the sentencing hearing, Aubrey spoke directly to Sydney's family, quote, Almost everything I've said before was a lie, unless it benefited me. I lured her there to try and pull her into our group. But once I sat Sydney down and explained to her our criminal activities and group sex, I knew I made a big mistake. The truth is, I killed her because of her reaction to what I had told her. I made no doubt she'd tell people what I told her. She did nothing but reject my lifestyle and threatened to expose it, and I killed her for it. Unquote. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 